Happy Gaming is a podcast dedicated to finding optimism as well as passionately and articulately exploring our love and respect for the medium without resorting to cynicism. If you enjoy this podcast and it's brought you some positive thinking, consider sharing with your friends and subscribing to the Happy Gaming Patreon at www.patreon.com slash happygaming, where you can show your support and become a patron for as little as $1 a month to help the show grow. Hope you enjoy the show, and happy gaming. Hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Happy Gaming. I'm your host, Brian Baldwin, and with us today, we have a special guest, James Davey from the Easy Allies Forums. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about the games that came out in 2020, now that we are officially in 2021. Before we get we get started, though, did you want us to talk about any of the games that you have been playing recently there, James? Oh, um, I've just uh, started Kingdoms of Amala Re-Reckoning on uh, Xbox One. Um, I played the original way back in 2012. Yeah, it was the first game that I played after one of my cats died, so... Uh... Yeah, it's memorable for that reason, but obviously, um, you know, as a huge, you know, open world, you know, huge colorful open world RPG, it's really, you know, it's really refreshing to have, a, you know, an RPG of its caliber when, you know, you've got the combat feels amazing, I think, especially for its time, you know, it feels very mighty and exacting, and that's where I feel like Kingdoms of Alma excels, but I do add since the reviews of the remaster of the, the game's a bit, you know, it's not a very good remaster, but I think, you know, it works well, it's functional, and um, enjoy it. I just dived, you know, dived into it. And, nice. You know, yeah, so. So for those who haven't played the, uh, the the original Kingdom of Amalur, um, I know I played the demo back in the day, but um, could you describe a little bit of what Kingdoms of Amalur is for uh, for those who are unfamiliar? I remember that this was, it was written by, was it R.A. Salvatore who uh, did the story? Yeah, R.A. Salvatore did the story, and well, I, I don't know, the story details and all that are, are kind of lost in me right now because, you know, I'm just dived back into it. Um, I know that you, you basically start off you know, you're among a pile of dead bodies, and you, uh, you know, from there you pick whatever you know, a race um, that you that you want to, and then you you progress to um, flying through a dungeon, which reminds me a little bit of uh, Oblivion. Um, you, know, hmm. you know, you're in a sort of a lost clue area until you, things branch out. So you go through this dungeon, dungeon you know, character. It just pull you around a bit, and then eventually you're, you know, you're set for into this this lovely uh, swathe of fantasy land, and off you go, you know, trotting around and you know, hitting all these different kinds of fantastical creatures in the face, and I don't know, using your staff to, you know, light up cobwebs and whack spiders, you know, big tarantula-like. Behemoths, very Lord of the Rings inspired in in a sense. Yeah, yeah, I love the uh, the fantasy aesthetic that they had going there. It was, uh, is it? I want to say it's high fantasy where it's you have like magic spells and you're, you know, it, it's not like Game of Thrones. It's very magic based and you, you have all this fantasy stuff going on. Again, yeah, I, I just sort of powered through level. Uh, so maybe I haven't even got level two yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I didn't actually play that long. I just sort of picked it up because. Uh, 
I just have the temptation because it's on the it's currently on um, the Xbox free play days. So oh, nice. download it and give it a shot. Other games I've been playing though, uh, I've been playing you know, I've played Gang Beast with a mate of mine. Mm. And that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it reminds me it's not obviously it's not really like four guys in a sense, but it has sort of a ragdoll-y well, I don't know if ragdoll would be the right word, but it has, you know, the same kind of physics, you know, jiggling to it, if you will. Mm. Uh, where, you know, you're just sort of pulling you know, using several buttons and one to pull and throw and all that sort of thing to one of your opponents and all these far out and precarious settings. Yeah, I think I think I played a level where you're on like a Ferris wheel and you're trying to throw the other person off, right? Is that that's Gang Beast, yeah. right? Yeah, I think we have the same first before you uh, dealt with them. And then yeah, uh, it is it's very hectic fun, you know, and uh, I you know, my mate was sort of discovered the allure a bit before I did because maybe you know, I wasn't really it took a bit of time to acclimate completely to it but once I did I well it was an awesome game to play on co-op mm-hmm. I recently got back into Trails of Cold Steel um, which was a recommendation from uh, Mr. Ben Moore from the, the Easy Allies who we both enjoy and it's really daunting because it's an RPG that is I think it's fifth in the series uh, there's you have like trails in the sky. There's like three of those, and then there's this one. I haven't played those, and so initially I was afraid that I was going to be missing out on some of the story. But I'm actually really, I'm I'm about an hour in. I haven't gotten too far, but you play as this uh this character who's going to a military academy in a very JRPG you know anime esque kind of way, and the story goes that your uh your squad of characters is the first squad in this uh, this country's history to have mixed class. So the, the kingdom is very class-based, and so you have the, the commoners, and then you have the, uh, the people who are very high class, and they don't mix. And so this is a very big deal for the characters. You have people who have a lot of uh, preconceived notions of how they view people, and it's about these characters kind of getting over that at the moment and in a very persona style. You, have the, all these characters that you get to know. And it's a remake of, uh, it was on the Vita. And so it doesn't run, or it runs it runs fine. It doesn't look particularly jaw-dropping. It's not gonna blow you away, but it has a, it has a certain appeal and I've been enjoying that so far. Um, yeah, how, how does it differ from, you know, uh, similar RPGs uh, or similar, is it an RPG? Oh, sorry, I have a lot yeah, of yeah, so it's a turn-based RPG. Uh, it doesn't have a lot that is super different. The battle system, it, it throws a lot at you all at once, but uh, this one has a lot to do with positioning and uh, I think eventually you get uh, different team attacks. So if say two of your party members have uh, a certain relationship, then they can they can do team attacks together. And so you have to position people to, you know, say you have a whole bunch of guys in a line here. You can have a, somebody do an attack that will do a ranged attack and hit all those guys at once. And so you really have to pay attention to where everybody's positioned and how you get your your party together. Some guys are only weak to things like magic, and so you have to have like a magic guy in there. But other than that, it's it's pretty standard fare. Uh, if you uh, if you enjoy turn-based RPGs, then this is it, it's not going to be anything too surprising for you. I feel, you know, um, I'm always up for, you know, trying new new games and then 
you know, I find that, do you think that the accessibility might be an issue with this? With this one, in terms of uh, people who are unfamiliar with other JRPGs? Uh, well, I'm familiar with, uh, like, yeah, those specific games in that genre. Um, I don't think that it would be too inaccessible. It's, like I said, it throws a lot at you at once, which is kind of a JRPG thing that is frustrating to me where they, they just give you all of the mechanics all at once and it's really front-loaded and they just kind of expect you to get used to that. But there's not a lot to digest. I think really once you... The, the first dungeon does a really good job of just kind of getting your feet on the ground and uh, showing you the ropes of how combat's going to work. And then after that, uh, you kind of just get to explore the, the campus and talk to characters and go at your own pace a little bit more. Okay, um, yeah, that sounds really cool. Um, it's what platform to You said it was on the Vita, is it on PC? Uh... It was on the Vita originally. I'm playing it on PlayStation 4, but yeah, so it's also on Steam. So yeah, it looks like just on, just on Steam, PlayStation 4, Vita. Nice. How old is this, is the game anyway? Is... So originally it came out in 2013 and the remake, I think it was just a few years after that. Oh, okay. Yeah, another game that I've been playing almost to completion was No More Heroes. Oh, nice. The uh, the remaster that came out for the Switch, right? Uh, yeah, I played through that and uh, I did play initially on the Wii, but I didn't really delve that far into it. But now I play on the Switch and, you know, you know it seems it's... Uh, I like the leisurely style to it, you know, the casual nonchalance of it, and uh, the katana, you know, the beam katana is always a, you know, very, you know, very deadly weapon, and how that sort of is handled on the Switch is very nice. Um, not as, but then again, it's probably one of those games which is probably much better catered to the Switch, uh, sorry, to the Wii, than to the Nintendo Switch because you get to sort of perform the actions and, you know, translating motion controls to button a button layout on a switch is you know fine passable acceptable but it's you know it's kind of yeah. although you couldn't use the joy cons i think so that's always suitable alternate you know suitable replacement for motion controls mm-hmm. then uh yeah i i trolled power for it quite quick well most of it quite quickly um it made me realize how terrible some games are at giving zombie <laughs> jobs. So you have, you know, you collect coconuts, you know, you, know, you have Travis sort of waddling with a coconut trying to bring it back to the, you know, the count, you know, the, the table. Mm. Uh, and it goes and clicks another one, does that. And it's, it's humorous in a way, and I think it, it you know, adds to the game's sort of you know, sense of humor, and, you know. But it's, you know, it's quite menial, but there are worse examples, if I can remember some of the jobs you do. So how does collecting coconuts fit in with the, uh, with the premise? Because I know that you're, you're, you're trying to take out a whole bunch of assassins in No More Heroes, right? And you're kind of, uh, do you drive around in kind of an open world? Yeah, it's, it's open world, um, if you just call it a linear open world, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you just go around and you, you take on like fascination missions and side jobs in order to gain enough money to enter the gotcha. rank of opponent. So yeah, you, know, you just have to sort of. I guess there's a bit of a grind to it because sometimes I find myself doing the same job several times just to you know, get enough money to, in order to pay for the next rank. Um, that's a little bit tedious and. Oh yeah, the gas station side job. Oh, isn't that that was uh, a hoot? Oh, well, 
basically uh, have you played no more heroes um i haven't played no more heroes i think that i rented it back when it came out on the wii but i didn't put a lot of time into it and it's always been a game that i've really wanted to check out because it it just has this really over the top style that is really interesting and fun and then the sequel came out too and i i, I just didn't get to pick that one up either so i'm really excited to t- try this one out now that it's coming to the switch yeah, it's all saying about this side job where you're at the gas station. You basically fill up cars with gas, you know, the car come and you get filled up with gas and you go, and then, you know, and then you have to keep your eye on a meter, and there's like a little arrow, you know, a little prompt to ensure that you you have to sort of hit that prompt uh, or that t- uh, arrow. Otherwise, you get burned up in flames, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get all burned up in flames, but you, you know, uh, it's a nice little side job mini game, but it's uh, I've had to do it several times. Over mm-hmm. order to get to the next assassination mission. Um, but yes, uh, in terms of the uh, the bosses, uh, they're very diverse, and it seems like every single boss feels very unique and different, and they stand out and they exude various uh, levels of charisma and style. There is one boss, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything, of course, but um, there, there is one boss that tests my patience. It's about <laughs> in the middle of the game, mm-hmm. and uh, it's really just a matter of trial and error until you, maybe even luck, uh, <laughs> because it's you know there's some cheap tactics employed. Uh, I feel like make it more difficult than it should be um so if you die during one of the boss fights do you have to collect more coconuts and do more side jobs in order to enter again or do they just let you retry no just let you retry and uh okay there's a level it's like there's most of the in most of the assassination these assassination no not the assassination the rank mission sorry uh well they are assassinations being boss assassinations Mm-hmm. It, you start with like just a generic level where it's all going through and just, you know, swinging enemies that come to you, but trying to survive the hordes that come at you and all that. And then, uh, yeah, you, you basically keep entering, locate, you know, entering areas until they're all cleared, and then you come to the boss. And then you know, it's important to save, and you get a nice wrestling move, which is the wrestling move is is they've got an unlock and you access it there's like a bit of paper coming out of a luchador mask's mouth sort of mm. thing uh, you, you pick that up and you've got this wrestling move and I think you, you use that wrestling move in the, the boss battle that will help you, you know, defeat it okay yeah it's, uh, I got to the last boss uh, but it's the last boss but it's um, frustrating <laughs> mm-hmm. um, those last bosses tend to be uh, generally it's a very you know, very slick game but I you know certain aspects of it I just feel like it's really been modernised especially in the visuals I think look shabby <laughs> um, yeah No More Heroes came out in uh, was it 2007 or 8 when the original one came out yeah January 2008 I think okay uh-huh. let's see if there's anything else I can bring up for what I've been playing here. That's what it was called, Hidden Through Time. Yeah, so Hidden Through Time. Uh, I picked this up, it's on sale for I think three or four dollars on PlayStation Network right now, but it's also available on 
Steam. You can play it on Nintendo Switch. You can play it on Xbox One. It's on uh, Android and Mac OS if you wanted to, I think, play it on your phone. But this is a pretty simple game. It's, it's basically kind of the, if you remember, Where's Waldo? The, those picture books where you'd have to, you know, find Waldo and some other things in the picture. So you have little scenarios where you, you'll you start out in like the caveman era and they'll be like, okay, try, try and find this dinosaur. And so you have this big picture that you're looking at and you have to kind of pan through and try and, try, try and find the dinosaur. And they'll give you little little hints at the bottom of the screen to to kind of cue you in on where the where it may or may not uh, be. So it, it becomes kind of like a, uh, what's it called? A scavenger hunt sort of thing. And it's, it's just a really simple, nice game. It's got little cartoon graphics. It's a really nice game if you if you, you come home after a long day and you just want to, you know, you don't want to use your brain too much. You just, you can just pan through some pictures and, and look for things. So I played that with my girlfriend a couple of times here when she gets off of work and we just want to kind of chill for a little bit. Yeah, I, I haven't heard of Hidden Fruit Time. I mean, it kind of goes by the name Hidden Fruit Time. It's Hidden Fruit My Time because I don't find it because I haven't played it. <laughs> no, I probably could find it if it's on the PS Store or somewhere. But I don't know. What, again, I don't know what platforms it's on. It's on pretty much everything if you want to uh, if you wanted to check it out. So for anybody who's interested, that's going to be pretty readily available for you. I was going to talk about Ghost Runner a bit. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I completed that a few months ago and I reviewed it for a website called the Xbox Tavern. I, of course, uh, and also I sent a hot take into you know, allies and Rad sort of meant me. Uh, then I uh, talked about it in depth in the community showcase about my criticisms of it. You know, Brad responded with his thoughts. And uh, well, the thing with the Ghost Runner is a, you know, it's a cyberpunk slasher and it's a single player game that takes about six hours or something like that and it's kind of slices mirror's edge with dishonored that's how okay. i'm talented and yeah your objective really is to run jump and uh, do some wacky superhuman sort of wall jumping and all that shenanigans mm-hmm. and uh, until you reach the end of the level um, I think the jumping reminds me of doing a lot when you bound around and sometimes okay. uh, there's like a plat- there's sort of platforming as well that you have to sort of do and it's kind of it's a bit I think it's overly precise in, in what it demands a player to do but it does feel smooth and uh, very it's, a, it's definitely an action game that will satisfied those craving something a little bit badass mm-hmm. it is bad yeah, the style is just really cool that cyberpunk aesthetic and everything and it's just been really tempting to to look into picking it up it's uh it's also very precise like you said and is it one hit deaths so you have to retry over and over again yeah that's it so yeah that reminds me a bit of super meat boy or Hotline miami in a sense um, All right. except for i think it's more unfair and a little less <laughs> well i know you can say it's unf- you know, this is unfair about all these difficult games are meant to be difficult blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I, I personally feel like the way it's designed makes it more difficult than it should be um mm-hmm. there are times where you know you have like several of these you know several enemies yeah one can shoot you whilst shielded mm-hmm. and your job is to sort of just you know, disengage the shield and then slash them before they have a chance to know what the hell's going on. And 
Yeah, I can understand. You know, the challenge isn't so much that it's you know difficult to progress, but it's annoying. It's just a lot of trial and error because you have to basically learn the entire level before you can get good at it, right? Well, I'd say a lot of trial and error. I think it's enough trial and error, so it's not like you're going to be on there for ages and ages and ages. It's one of those things where I think it might come down to acumen and like how used you are to these kinds of games. Some people can pick up Ghost Runner and play it like an expert immediately. And whereas I'm like an amateur and I'm like, I want to feel like dominant. But yeah, I, I generally sort of enjoyed what I play if enough. I feel like in terms of its cyberpunk aesthetic, I, I wanted more of a story. I wanted more, you know, characters, more, more reasons to care about what's going on in the world. And I feel like mm-hmm. there is it sort of buried itself in cliches as well. Well, like you have a corporate overlord overseer person who is your basically like a, well, I don't know, your taskmaster, but you know, it's all just this figure you basically follow through the game. He gets you to or encourages you to go forward. And then there, there are some minor characters, and most of you know, the characters on characters you meet, but you hear them through like audio logs or sort of audio. You know, it's like I guess you could call it audible storytelling, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you know a little bit more about the background in the world, but I just feel like that sort of stimmies the quality of the game's personality. I can totally understand. Like for for me personally, like audio logs are a really hard way to have a story told to you in a way. It feels really disconnected a lot of the time in, in the games that I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe with the exception of like Horizon Zero Dawn does a lot of audio log storytelling and it gets really good at the very end. But for the most part, up until that point, it feels very disconnected with what's going on in the world and what you're actually doing. Yeah, I don't think you collect audio logs in um, Ghost Runner. It's just the storytelling is just it sort of comes up until it just pops up like characters will just pop up and audibly and things happen I don't find it anywhere near as intriguing as a cloud bunk really I thought cloud bunk because really just looking at the voxels you know, and the lights of, of cloud bunk um, just you know it, it's just very wow like I mean it's not the best looking game ever obviously it's just it's, it's one of those games that make people feel more excited about cyberpunk in the genre. I mean, it came out only a couple of months before, you know, 2077 and got, you know, this game that I thought gets me pumped for, for cyberpunk, you know. Though cloudpunk is a lot of sort of deliver, you know, delivering packages and uh, finding, you know, driving to locations and delivering packages as uh, you know, there is there are characters and situations and uh, there's a you know, there's a, a world and there are systems that are more you know, far easier to grasp and care about than I find in Ghost Runner. Yeah, so it sounds like to me, uh, and I'm unfamiliar with Cloudpunk outside of a trailer or two, but Cloudpunk it sounds like just gives you a better sense of existing in a world. Well, you're even though you're just going to be doing a lot of delivering packages on the side and doing that sort of thing. I think, you know, having that kind of Blade Runner flying your car through and exploring this world and seeing people living there is 
a really important thing to connecting you to what's going on versus in Ghost Runner where it's it's a very linear level sort of structure where it's more about memorization and skill than about that immersion. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I thought Ghost Runner put, well, put combat and uh, in terms of stylishness, in terms of you know, gameplay stylishness over uh, the world and the characters and all that. So. You know, that's appreciative, but I feel, you know, you just play some believer, you know, in Ghost Run, you just play some, as someone with a helmet on his head. It feels like there's no, it feels like there's no, a lack of identity um, mm. to it, I think. I feel as though Cloudpunk just does a, just does a better, a much better job of drawing you in, even though I encountered the game-breaking bug at the start of my experience with it, mm. which... It was annoying. I had to restart the game again. But after that, things worked pretty perfectly. You know, perfectly as it can be, technically speaking. Mm. Yeah, Cloudpunk is definitely one that I have looked at, but I, uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on with, uh, with the other one with Ghost Runner. I love the style and I love the music, but it doesn't look like a game I would necessarily get into as much, especially with the difficulty. Like you were saying, you sometimes you just want to jump into a game and be really good at it and, and just be a badass. And I don't like sometimes to have that high skill ceiling. Uh, like roguelikes for me are very difficult to get into because I can hardly get off the ground. Uh, roguelikes played a couple of those recently too, uh, like 80s and going under internships a heck vastly different um mm. to say the least going under is you know colorful and you're you play as this wacky girl and she's an intern uh for this uh, startup and your job is to go into these little dungeons and you have these chutes that you enter like well, I'll mention something imagine a playpen or something like when you go down a slide or something sounds fun doesn't it um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah so you go down a slide and you, you enter the, you know, this uh, rogue like you know rogue like areas where you're basically smacking enemies with keyboards and pencils and all this office stationery and yeah each level sorry each um each uh, zone of the level will throw something new and unexpected at you and you just have to stem the tide and then you know eventually you will come to a boss that uh from bosses i've beaten they are very colorfully um designed and colorfully animated and quirky and that's that's why what i really enjoy about going under is that it's different from a lot of these roguelikes which i think kind of predicate the difficulty or they're predicated on making the game as, as difficult which i think the genre is about being difficult but also being fair and going under is apparently quite fair and there are options in the settings that where you can tweak the accessibility to your liking it's awesome and like i i think especially what you were saying like the wackiness and like it it kind of reminds me of a saturday morning cartoon in a way looking at screenshots here and there with kind of the the colorful art and the exaggerated proportions of the models 
it looks really appealing, especially compared to a lot of the more serious games out there. Like nothing against Hades. I think that Hades is beautiful. Supergiant has an incredible art style that's, you know, hand drawn and somewhat realistic. Uh, but I think that there's also something just very appealing about that light cartoon aesthetic that it can uh, draw a lot more people in. Absolutely. I feel like it's one of these games that you might say on the surface has, it doesn't have the budget of uh, Hades, but mm-hmm. it's got yeah the color, it's got the ideas, and it's got the, the differences. Whereas I, I can see that Hades might, even though it's you might say it's nothing like Dead Cells. <laughs> I feel like I draw more comparisons between Hades and Dead Cells and I can between going under and Dead Cells or going under and Hades. I, you know, I feel like Hades and Dead Cells are very celebrated in the genre. Uh, you know, like their success is quite crazy. Um, notoriety that has been, you know, the two games have been given. And rightly so in then and then in many regards, but I feel I always get this feeling that the difficulty is the reason why they are as successful as I always get that sense. I mean, it's not a sense that I really want to have, but I I just see that the Dead Cells and Hades are games that pride themselves on the difficulty as well as, you know, as if, well, they have fairness too, of course. So. But, um, the thing, the difference with Hades, uh, and there's one gigantic difference with Hades, is it's a game, it's a rare, it's one of these rare games where I feel like when I play it, even though I'm getting my ass kicked and I'm done over the same place again and again and again, I'm like magnetized by its visuals, I'm magnetized by its style, and I keep playing and I want to keep progressing, and you know, it has all these tricks to keep. You know, keep wanting to keep persevering and keep going, but it's also, you know, it has it makes you more powerful as well. Uh, as, as you die, you gain more power, more abilities, and it's just it's just very well done, a very well done game that is kind of an out of nowhere success. Kind of a dead cells as well. Yeah, I think that accessibility that, you ta- that you're talking about is really important too, especially for, you know, a wide audience. I know that some people prefer games like Spelunky, where you start over every time and you start with nothing every time and you really have to master the mechanics of the game in order to make any footing. But I think that it's also important for these other games where you can have little tiny milestones as you go forward you get a little bit better and you you get a new weapon or you get some new gear and it helps you along the way versus starting from nothing so you really feel like you're you're still progressing even though you know you have to start over from the beginning it becomes easier to start from the beginning when you don't start at the bottom yeah it's uh it's i mean one of those games that don't make you feel you're starting from ground zero and trying to work your way up and have to go through a grind or go through any there are hardships, but not in the sense that you know you don't feel like the game's testing your patience. And it's it's a game that I believe the developers want you to get better at. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not really it's not a game that I believe is one that you know me too. In a sense, it's not a me too kind of game. It's it's one that kind of stands proudly on its own two feet with Supergiant's 
previous works as well because um, they're all very vastly different experiences and I feel like Davies is definitely one of those but perhaps it's, it's Supergiant's most successful as well oh, uh, I would say absolutely for sure yeah a lot of people sort of you know raved about Bastion uh, yeah Bastion didn't the appeal to me um, and uh, Transistor follow up well I don't follow up it's a different game but it came out in 2014 and was kind of likeable I felt like they did more with their stylization and more ideas were concealed together and create something really really cool especially the soundtrack they did a really 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 good job with that and then uh, Kaya which is easily the lesser or well in terms of not being as popular or as revered Pyre is probably my favourite Super Giant game in Hades I don't know it's hard to choose really but Pyre is one of those games that again it shows to do the giant like to play around with sort of expectations as well as genres and stuff like that because you're, t- you're taking high well probably you say it's high fantasy um Oh, you played Pyre? Uh, I haven't finished Pyre, but I put a lot of time into Pyre. Pyre was a game that absolutely surprised me. You know, because you you have a game that is, it's very much visual novel in style a lot of the time where you're choosing your own adventure, you're reading a lot of things from different characters and deciding how to interact with them. And then the other part of the game is it's kind of a sports game where you, you know, you have like a, it's a basketball kind of thing where you have an orb and you, you select a crew of people that you've been hanging out with and you have to take them into this challenge to go against other people who are trying to get out of the underworld. And that's such an interesting premise. And it's also just such an, an interesting style to uh, to use for your game. I, I love everything about Pyre. And like you said, too, the composer for Supergiant is just one of the best in the biz. He has such an interesting way of mixing modern electric instruments with classical traditional instruments in a way that just has a really unique and unprecedented sound. Yeah, it's, uh, it's his name, Darren Korb. I think it's uh, Darren Korb. He's just an incredible composer. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, he does a sensational job compositions and sense of place you feel in, his, in the games that he composes really bring you in to those game worlds in such a meticulous way. But, yeah. but I feel like quite a long time between Supergiant, it's like three years between Supergiant games. Isn't it or longer? Because you go from 2009 to 2014, from Bash to yeah, Transistor, and then Transistor to Pyre was like three years, and then Pyre mm-hmm. to Hades, it's like three years as well. So it's like they allow all their games with time, and I'm pretty sure that with that time, they make something that's truly different from what's, what they've done before. Mm-hmm. Um, but still carry that signature style with them. Absolutely, and their their latest game, Hades, has gotten so much attention this last year, pivoting to like some of the games of 2020. Uh, Hades is a game that many are saying is their favorite game of this this last year. Do you think that it's a game that you'd consider to be as this console generation comes to a close and we start a new one with the the new Xbox, the PlayStation Five? Uh, how do you feel the the big games of this last year have kind of put a mark on the end of this generation? 
if we're talking about Hades, I guess that's more Switch thing, but mm-hmm. uh, or PC. But I think the games leading up to the end of the generation um, certainly made their mark. Um, you know, we've had Ghost of Tsushima and Last of Us Part Two, which are both spectacular experiences. A lot of people obviously want to, you know, dump all over Last of Us Part Two for story reasons and I've you know I've seen a lot of YouTubers and people just basically ignoring the gameplay and disrespecting or disrespecting other aspects of the game uh, because the story elements to them weren't satisfying. But the way I feel about it is it's one of the best video game experiences I've ever had with you know moments that are very unexpected and powerful and it does such a stellar job of just making each you know each encounter each moment count well I say that but I felt that the, the last hour or two of the game it rested too heavily on the outpost clearing um, it kind of got to a point where I'm tired of this I'm just going to go back to the story let's just have a little bit more story or do something a little different but no there's a lot of there's a lot of outpost clearing that gets in the way of the pleasure and probably the momentum of where the game was going towards the end and then there's you know I'm not going to talk about the ending but it's uh that ending is you know I think it was made to uh strike a uh, a lot of controversy and a lot of split, split opinions I'm sort of on the fence but I'm on the fence about a lot of things so <laughs> just um yeah but I, I you know the overall impression spectacular uh and then this goes to Tsushima which it's spectacular uh, some people would say it's the Assassin's Creed that, that Ubisoft never made or don't want to make to me Ghost of Tsushima is its own entity and the company of Assassin's Creed isn't really fair to what it does accomplish because you know Ghost of Tsushima you know, timing and looking at the stances and how to attack and how to defend is always prioritised over mindless smashing of a base button and you know think less about your encounters whereas I feel Ghost of Tsushima would make you feel it makes each encounter important because you have to concentrate be weary of your surroundings more but um, in terms of its visual style it's one of the best games visually on the PS4 period as far as I'm concerned absolutely one of the most artistically eloquent and eloquent and just amazing looking game that I've uh, played. I mean, last game that did that, I think for me, was Witcher 3. Other games that came out include the console generation. Um, you know, you had Matthew Defender Edition, which. That, that game just looks stunning. Yeah, uh, absolutely. They've done a fantastic job with that. Kind of wish they put well not the same attention on Mafia 2 Definitive Edition, but <laughs> Mafia Definitive Edition is horrid. But Mafia Definitive Edition is just remarkable. I never, I didn't play the, I don't have a PC, so I didn't play the original 
but I could tell how much love and care went into Mafia Definitive Edition and how it manages to make you know the gangster genre brilliant again in video games. I just feel Mafia Definitive Edition does a, a, a great job of just giving you a proper slice of uh, just 19. Yeah, I was trying to think too. I think I think it's the 20s or the 30s, but I'm not I'm not positive myself. Yeah, um, it does just an excellent sense of place and time, and you know the only thing I think it lacked was you know, compelling. I don't know. Like, I feel like the boss. Um, you know, the head honcho or what is um, But yeah, I, I feel like more could have been done in terms of character. But generally, I just... It's just a remarkable, um, remarkable achievement. Remakes had it great in 2020 as well. So, you know, Modern Matthew Divinity Edition is just one of those examples of, of great remakes. Yeah, Final Fantasy VII Remake is another one that I think about a lot where that took so many years to happen, but it's so impressive technically and in terms of what they were able to build for this game. It feels like it's an impossible feat to pull off a game that people have been waiting for for so long. And being a remake of a game that came out in 1997, so many years ago, and changing things and altering things from the original so that you know, the, the battle system is completely different and the graphics are completely different, but it's still recognizable to that original in a way that feels so respectful and humble to its roots, but also willing to change things that don't necessarily work as a modern game in the way that it's it's trying to be. Final Fantasy VII Remake is outside of the fact that it's no secret that the it's the first part of maybe a two or three part series because we, we couldn't technically build uh, <laughs> you know, that size of a game on that hardware for that original game. But outside of that, I think that it still feels like a full experience that is just so powerful and so loving to to what came before. And you can tell that they're, they're definitely just putting, they put a lot of eggs in their basket to make sure that this was done right. Yeah, I think that Final Fantasy VII Remake is justification for Final Fantasy fans. Uh, it maintains the similarities that you'd want whilst bringing in you know, a new combat system, new new things that don't uh, compromise the original vision, but also sort of really enhancing and improving the overall experience for the modern gamer. Mm -hmm. And in that regard, it, you know, it is an outstanding and a thoroughly excellent remake. It makes the most of the hardware it's on. It's a game that that shows how important Final Fantasy is to the fans. Absolutely. Um, and how much love, you know, love and attention the fans given it has seemingly gone into Final Fantasy VII remake and that's clear as day uh, when you pick it up and you play it and so you've got the glimmer of clouds stored and uh, well I'll be honest I'm not <laughs> well it's not I'm not a huge Final Fantasy fan you could say I'm just a, an amateur oh, no no judgment at all no judgment at all an amateur appreciator of it um, but I have played Final Fantasy I've bought Final Fantasy 7 trying to 
you know, show more of my appreciation. You know, I think my first experience as Final Fantasy were on the PSP. Um, oh, for sure. And I believe my older brother owned it on PS1 on Final Fantasy VIII, I think. I think he owned it on PS1. Mm-hmm. But um, to me, um, I, it was, you know, Dissidia and Crisis Core. Uh, was my first experiences with Final Fantasy. I definitely put a lot of time into into both of those. My my buddy and I took a road trip multiple times, and we would always bring our PSPs with the city so we could sit in the back seat and uh, and play multiplayer together. Yeah, it's one of those quirky, you know, little PSP gems that I think. I mean, even got a sequel. So, mm. You were know, decked in Final Fantasy. You know, strange name it is, um, but it, it's it, it's just a testament to how good, especially the environments are in the game that they put those in the fighting games. If I remember correctly, you know, the stages were very, say, open, but there was those sort of they felt like boss battle sort of stages, and and there's you know the battles really felt like the meaningful because of how they were designed for the PSP and that made the city a lot more inviting and uh, Crisis Core was pretty interesting as well. It's been a long time since I played Crisis Core. I'd love for us to get a re-release of Crisis Core in in some shape or form so that we can you know play that on a on the big screen on the TV. Yeah, I absolutely think that there's a potential for that to happen. Um, but I think the more, uh, I think Final Fantasy fans will be more, they're, they're gunning for the next part of the Final Fantasy VII saga, because um, the first is unfinished. And uh, yeah, but I think that although Final Fantasy VII Remake is my favorite remake of 2020, no, it's not. <laughs> just thought about it. I don't confuse my mind. I'm just thinking of a list, you know, a countdown list I made of best and worst games and the, the, the best remake of the year for me. The Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 Plus 2 HD. Oh man, yeah, that came out of nowhere too. I wasn't even expecting that. I mean, I'm very impressed with just how faithful it is to the original games. And it's exciting. I mean, certain times I've I felt like I really want a new skateboarding game, like a Skate 4, but the Skate 4 never happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, even those games like Scare XL came out last year, but I didn't play it or I didn't give it any, any attention, really. But when Tony Hawk's Pro Skate 1 Plus 2 HD, so I keep calling it HD, is remake. It's a remake. One plus two remake. There we go. Um, <laughs> it's a it's a completely different kind of remake than that Final Fantasy VII remake because it it's a one to one in a lot of ways, but they take a lot of the things that they improved over the years with uh you know with two and three and they put that into the first game so that it it feels more modern, but it, it almost feels like you're jumping back in to exactly what you remember playing back when you were younger. Absolutely. It's been a long time since we have a good skateboarding game, probably Skate 3. No, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 5, I'm not looking at you. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that was rubbish. <laughs> but it, these, the remakes just give you that PS1 sense of satisfaction. Um, 
and maybe some you know, nostalgia. It, to me, it has all the hallmarks of a PS1 game. I mean, that in the best possible way. It has, you know, you have these quirky collectibles that you go around and find, and you have to pull off some coins and same stunts in order to grab, you know, the, the say, the letters and the, the uh, level exclusive objects and all that stuff. It never feels like a chore, and it always feels like the game encourages you to get better and keep trying with and keep experimenting with tricks and eventually you know you you know you will make progress relatively swiftly and it hasn't lost its edge at all i mean it's, it's just as accessible as the ps1 games and it's just as inviting and it's just as impressive but of course in the modern yeah, on, on current, or I could say, I don't know whether we should call it past gen or current gen at this point. Some people say it's current <laughs> gen because, you know, PS4 and Xbox One is still central for a lot of people, but next gen is there, and some people are lucky enough to get PS5 and a Series X uh, launch. Um, well, these remakes coming out at the end of this the generation is remarkable. It's like they've set the bar again. Uh, and I feel like there is going to be further demand for remakes of sequels of the Tony Hawk Pro Skater sequels. Like, for some people are really craving for uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 and 4. I kind of prefer having Underground uh, remake. I um, mm. don't think Underground 2 remake would be possible, considering I don't think the Jackass crew will. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna ever work out on this. Unless they just spruced it up and called it a remaster. Yeah, it's definitely been a generation where we've had a lot of things come back. Like we, we had Crash Bandicoot 4 release at, at, after so many years of that franchise not being in, in, in the best light for a lot of people. They had, they had a lot of just okay games in that series. Yeah, we have a lot of collections that came out. We have you know, the Mega Man ZX collection of a series of handheld games. Street Fighter's still going strong. We got the championship edition for Street Fighter V that it, admittedly I haven't put any time into. There are also just, there are so many interesting games. I, I, I think that one of your favorite games that came out this year that you've talked about on the forums is Hunt Down. And I've definitely put a lot of time into Hunt Down as well. Do you want to uh, talk a little bit about that one? Yeah, Hunt Down um, is a game that I didn't know about when it released. Um, I didn't know about it for about a month or two after it released. And then I, you know, I watched Don lose. Uh, it was a Uber syndrome with asking hours about their favorite half year game of the years. And Don turns up hunt down, and I look at it and I think to myself, this could be amazing fun, <laughs> amazing <laughs> job. Um, so. Uh, off the back of that, um, I bought it on Xbox One, downloaded it, and played it. My mate Jeff played it as well, and we were both just stunned by how fun it is and how enjoyable the game is. How much charisma is packed into it. I mean, I'm a man for charisma. Mm-hmm. And the way it's, it's just, it's ballistic and it's nonchalant and it's, you know, there's a lot of 
swagger about the game. It makes me feel as though the game is remarkable the way it manages to come out of nowhere and give us just this awesome game that you can play in co-op. I think it's only local co-op though, I think. Yeah, it's a shame it's only local co-op. I'd love to play Hunt Down online. Hunt Down just... It's just one of these games that it could have just passed me by. It could have been the game that I didn't play for the year. I didn't even hear about it and know about it at all. It wouldn't be upon my favorite games of the year. Those are some of my favorite games to come around every year. Just those those little sleepers that you get to talk about with your friends and say, well, you played Final Fantasy VII Remake, but have you played Hunt Down? Because, oh man. Yeah, and unfortunately Hunt Down faces this upward battle because mm-hmm. it's it hasn't received, it barely has received any critical attention. I mean, there's some critics out there who've reviewed it, but like IGN and do mainly the mainstream critics just haven't, haven't reviewed it at all. And I'm thinking, what the hell? What kind of insane world do we live in where it's, <laughs> you know, where this amazingly cool cyberpunk bastard isn't being played or given the attention or kudos? it deserves and it's a game that I feel does things more is a video game kind of game in the best possible sense it's awesome whereas I feel like many of the games that came out in 2020 seem to go through the established AAA or established traits of the genre and mm-hmm. is one of those games even though it has inspirations from certain sources you know like the Duke Nukem and uh, uh, similar games of, of its ilk I feel like it's, it's it's easily the one that I think is the most memorable and most brazen and to me just the most, most fun I'm always you know I'm always after games that are, are really fun Mm-hmm. and some of those are, are not given the attention that, that you'd think that they could get and speaking of games that deserve more attention um, Wintermore Tactics Club is another game that I feel is painfully hidden beneath the surface um, I, I absolutely agree I picked this one up as well and have put a little bit of time into it it's just it's extremely cozy and it's extremely charming, but there has been, you know, there's been very little coverage of this game anywhere, basically. Uh, it's it's a game that I think that outside of a handful of people who I go through the, the new games every week to kind of watch trailers and do that sort of thing, but not everybody keeps up with, uh, with that sort of thing. And I think these little games deserve a lot more attention in the same way that those big releases do. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, Wintermore Tactics Club seems to have the inspiration and the relaxing vibes going for it. Mm-hmm. You know, cozy vibes. It's uh, you know, it's a game that you just play and you know you don't really have to worry about skill. You don't really have to worry about anything complex or dark or despairing and depressing. It's a yeah. game that just wipes you in and just welcomes you with open arms it's just such a beautiful experience i feel like its simplicity is its biggest draw Mm -hmm. and you can just 
Admittedly, I felt like you know, battle, the way battles play out didn't appeal initially, because um, it, you know, to me it's like very Pokemon-like. You know how the, the battles play out, or these normal fights. And, you know, I, once you, you know, getting your heads around it is pretty easy as well, because the game is very lenient. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it just a game that doesn't demand anything, just that you enjoy what's there. And I, you know, I was on um, Twitter, and uh, basically I, I said something about when more times the club and the one of the developers of the game commended me for making a comment that I made about it. It's outstanding. Yeah. Um, and I, I said that they deserve far more uh, attention than they get. Again, I think uh, Uber is the guided you exactly towards the game, but guided me towards the game. And it's, you know, I shows how much I, you know, I trust the allies and what they recommend and and in this one came up trumps and they did a good one by me and maybe went to one type of club one of the you know, one of my favorite names of the year as well you know? absolutely you know especially in like this year we got Last of Us Part 2 which is you know it, it's technically one of the most outstanding visual games I've ever seen. It's just, that's a beautiful game. Uh, I still haven't finished Last of Us Part 2 because I got to a certain point and things got a little bit too too real for me. Uh, I'm from the Seattle area where the game takes place and, and a game where the premise has everybody who died in a pandemic or are extremely hateful neo-nazi kind of people just hit a little bit too close to home and so something like wintermore tactics club that can come out in the same year and can bring so much joy and positivity and can just bring that cozy feeling at the same time as these other games that are more serious and are very hardened i think is very important uh, yeah i now that you say it i feel the same way of animal crossing new horizons yeah, I was going to bring that up next, because, like, I I haven't put a lot of time into Animal Crossing New Horizons, but I really appreciate it, especially this year, because I think that for a lot of people, that's just been a social outlet, and that's been a positive way to uh, to spend time with the people that you care about this year. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's you know, a game that couldn't have come out at that time for people... Uh, it's one of these games that I feel can put a smile on people's faces at a time where things are so despairing and miserable and different and alien. It's, you know, again, much like Winter One Tactics Club, it's cozy and you just forget about everything around you. You just want to sink yourself into the experience and be able to, you know, you know do things on, on the island. You know, literally activities that you know you can collect, you know, bugs and fish, and uh, you know do up your, you know, your humble abode, and you know, it's just one of those games that is breezy and um, makes you appreciate some of the simple pleasures in life. I think. Absolutely, I got into 
the previous game, New Leaf, a lot. And I think that something that Animal Crossing just does so well that a lot of other games, not that they don't do well, but they don't do in the same way as just this sense of evolving community where you're a part of this island and you meet your neighbors and you talk to them every day. And there's there's this level of escapism that I don't think is necessarily the same way as something where you're putting yourself into these epic stories. This is just, you're a part of this community that welcomes you and they want to see you every day and you can you can catch a fish and you can catch bugs, like you said. And there's, it's just something you can spend 30 minutes every day and just kind of be in this happy place for a little bit of time during, you know, a pandemic, for instance, where we can't really go out. Yeah, indeed, it's a game that you get, you know, you have social experiences and you're not, you know, you're not going out anywhere and you're just looking at the screen. Animal Crossing has been, you know, just a really, really beautiful addiction to have. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame that there aren't too many games out there that have that kind of hook and that alert. Um, Stardew Valley apparently has that. Oh, Stardew Valley is another one that I, I spent a lot of time into. That's a that was a game I picked up when I was sick, and it definitely has that, that just light appeal of taking things day by day and doing a little bit here and there, and it's not too overwhelming or stressful. Uh, but it's just, you know what's crazy is though is that you have games that are so beautiful and sweet and pleasurable like that, and then around the same time as that. Doom Eternal comes out. Yeah, sure <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, th- I think that came out on the same day, didn't it? Uh, I don't know for sure. Um, but just very similar times. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, it's not on the Switch. Or that would be a real. <laughs> that would be a real uh, juxtaposition. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean. Her, the last thing Animal Crossing needs is a Doom guy and a chainsaw and uh, blood and guts and all that. It's definitely a different kind of escapism for sure. I, I mean, I, I love, uh, I love Doom to death with the metal music and uh, blasting mutants and zombies and uh, all these monsters. But it, it's not the same as, uh, as hanging out with your buddies on a little island. Yeah. <laughs> But then Doom Eternal is, is one of these games that is empowering and, uh, you know, for his ass kickery and blood and guts and all that stuff. But then, you know, you have the pleasant of Animal Crossing New Horizons and, um, you know, the way that you can sort of de- it's like a detox. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the time, I guess we play a lot of games where there is a certain demand on the player and certain objectives have to be fulfilled and you know crossing just like with one text but has not that demand on player. I mean sure you can have to go to the nook, you know, top nook and you know, renovate the place if you want to. But I don't think there's an obligation for that, so you can basically just catch bugs and fish and explore, you know, curate your own museum. With you know, a lot of fishies and bugs, and just, you know, I think my biggest criticism towards New Horizons is it does sort of feel a bit too similar to New Leaf. I um, mean, I've played, I think I've played New Leaf about the same amount of time as something to New Horizons, and I feel like I did largely the same kinds of things. Um, 
Well, there's things are pleasurable and you know, four they should stay in the game and all that, but I feel like it deserves a bit more activity, a bit more going on to help it, you know, to help mature itself and say you girls to say, hey, this is this is the Switch Animal Crossing game, not making me feel like oh, I could have just played the you know, the three DS new leaf from twenty thirteen. Yeah, I think for me the it was the crafting for me that I wasn't into. That's something that for a lot of games, if if it has crafting, then I'm just less inclined to keep playing. I don't like picking up a lot of things and then making things out of those things. That's a really big amount of tedium for me. I prefer prefer to, you know, just hang out with the locals and fish and catch bugs. But I, I agree that if they'd have enhanced it in some other way, like maybe you have a couple of different towns that you can go to or something like that, that would have enhanced it from the 2013 New Leaf in some way, I think that that would have been excellent. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I just I feel that um, yeah, New Leaf could have just done with a bit more of, of those, a few new additions or something crazy. Maybe something a bit more gently competitive, like they could spin race or something, or a I don't know, a Wellington throw or something like that. But the spirit is always appreciated and, you know, adored by players. And it's, it is a game that, you know, is just priceless. Well, it has a price on it, obviously, but, you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> Nothing else like of, it. In terms of capitalism. But it brings me on to a Switch game that I've been playing a lot this year and it didn't even come out with you. And I've been playing it a lot of the time when I feel like I can be asked. And that's Ring Fit Adventure. Oh yeah, we've been pu- we've been putting a lot of time into Ring Fit Adventure over here. Oh, that's good. Sensational. You know, just... It's an, it looks like Animal Crossing, I feel like it's a great game to play in these perilous times. And uh, it just allows you to exercise without leaving the house if you want to do that and it's very worthwhile and you know it just it, it's the way that i like it's an easy hook for me to exercise when it's a video game involved and that's definitely perfectly fine obviously it's it's you know it's just it's a game that basically makes exercise just you know just a lot of fun and it has like battles with these weird creatures. Oh, my favorite creature is probably one that does a little deflating balloon noise. Mm. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> it's, it's got the charm the character expected to do as well. And even though having to face Drago, Drag, Dragono, Drago, whatever his name is, over and over again is a little bit tedious. But I feel like Drago is just basically nothing more than just a coach, you know, a fitness coach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he drives to, you know, well, maybe a drill sergeant or something. Just, you know, you face him and you just put what you've, you know, well, I don't know if there's any. Oh, well, there is. I'm not really sure whether you could say there's actual skill involved. Well, there are skill, like knowing how to do certain exercises, but the I think the way to win those boss battles is just to ensure you've got enough health items and power ups, um, and then you can just unleash um, on Drago, and you've just got to be mindful of his attacks and counter with um well not counter but you know just 
got a particular probably the most damaging attacks and then make sure you take your health uh, smoothie when you need it. I think that's something for us. You know, you mentioned that it's just really nice to be able to focus your exercise into a game. Uh, and that's something that my girlfriend really, really likes is it kind of takes it, it takes something that could have been menial and turns it into something that is a fun activity that you can you can level up and you can go on this adventure. And I think that something else that really works for it is it's really positive in how it coaches you. It's it's never mean. It it always wants to pump you up and tell you that you can do these exercises and that you can you can make it through. And I think that for a lot of people that don't, you know, go to the gym regularly, it can be really intimidating to try and get exercising regularly and a game that has this character that just always tells you yeah yeah you can you can do it just one more is mm. well, he's yeah, he's not my I, favorite character but i, I, I do I, appreciate the positivity i can't remember his name um but you know he can be a bit over the top <laughs> absolutely like he always, you know, at the end of each stage, you always need to bend down on your knees and they're sore, and then you know, raise your hands in victory when your hand, your arms are also sore. Uh, and it's like victory. <laughs> <laughs> but also, yeah, I remember I played it in the summer, and I just I was playing through GTA Five again at the time. Um, it's been quite a while since I played GTA Five. You know, I must have uh, been pushing the ring on in and out you know, uh, too much when playing the mini games, and uh, got myself. I think it was like bursitis or something from uh, doing that. So my arm hurt like it was really um, tough to move my arm for a bit, um, mm-hmm. but it um, you know, improved with time. Like a month later, it improved, and then. Uh, I decided to walk to my local shop barefoot and there was a huge blister on my foot. Uh, old me, I, I just thought I'd do that. And the blisters heal for me now, so that's good. Yeah, so Ring Fit is really the game that I, that I think I've played the most this year, actually. When I consider just how much I've, um, you know, how much time I've sunk into it, how much I've, how much I've, I've been fixed on playing it and I haven't played it every day and the last time I played it was like a couple of weeks ago I think um, and I keep on wanting to get back to it but I just find myself not doing that at the moment for some reason um, there's a lack of motivation to do very much I mean I'm like I'm like you guys over there in America I think Switch doesn't Switch didn't have the uh, there's something about there's something on the community about the Switch games you spend the most time playing on mm-hmm. of the year, and yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a, something like that over here in the UK. You know, so we can't really track the games we played most on Switch. Well, actually, if we can do it, it's just not in a, you know, a celebratory or a, you know, in a official fashion. Yeah, that's um. It's a shame, but it's not like it was necessary. Hmm. Would have been nice. So we talked a lot, a lot about the big games that came out this year. We brought up Animal Crossing and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Hunt Down. Uh, before we end off our episode here, what kinds of games are you most looking forward to in 2021? 
now that we are in this new year and we have this new hardware generation out, are, is there an upcoming game that you know about that you're excited for, or is there a a game that you're hoping will be announced that you'll be able to play soon? I'm probably got two games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I like I've looked at the Wikipedia page for this year, and I haven't. Um, uh, none of the games, not all of the games really jump out at me. I mean, it would be nice to play Bravely Default 2, it would be nice to play a Super, what is it, Super Mario 3D World Plus Bowser's Fury, is it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it would be nice to play those, but also the ones that capture my attention the most Pokemon Snap, new Pokemon Snap. Right? Um, I always forget about the new Pokemon Snap. That game was such a nice surprise, the the first one, because I spent years just bashing it uh, unnecessarily. I, th- I thought it looked dumb and hokey, and I- I'm a big Pokemon fan, and I did never had a Nintendo 64 until recently, and so when I finally got to play it, it was, it was such a good time. And so having this new Pokemon Snap is just going to be such a fun, a fun time to sit back and and you know relax with these characters yeah i i think the new pokemon snap i uh reminds me about bug snakes i'm probably in that time for us talk about that but yeah pokemon, new pokemon snap is um, just it's just so it looks so serene so beautiful so mm-hmm. picturesque like uh, like a paradise a holiday uh, you know <laughs> I'm reminding myself of Vice C's first trailer. Uh, I, I love Pokemon. I love the original Pokemon Snap. Um, yeah, I just remember trying, you know, back in the days when there weren't red guides available. <sighs> trying to find how to get, you know, to find a Gyarados. And uh, yeah, I remember finding, you know, how to find a Gyarados. I think it was probably like a Pokeball on a magic up and then have to smash them all and then the Gyarados just kind of roars out and that's cool. And uh, the other game that of course has been recently shown off uh, is Resident Evil 8 Village. I think I've got more critical to say about uh, what I think of Resident Evil 8 Village so far. It feels like a amalgamation of previous Resident Evil games with Bioshock and Bloodborne influences in there and it looks like it could be a brilliant game and I'm sure that it will have enough going for it but I I can't escape the feeling like it's too similar to Resident Evil 7 I know it's presumptuous but it's uh, just there are certain uh, aspects of, of the game that I've saw that made me think that this is a bit too much of a continuation of what RE7 did and uh, unfortunately I feel you know even though you might say it was a surprise it's Capcom partnering with Ubisoft for that Division 2 content is a bit but I think Resident Evil was you know it's a very strange Franchise in some respects, uh, a lot of risks have been taken with the franchise. I mean, it worked with some of the levels of works for shambles, but Resident Evil Day does look like it will be a good game. Mm-hmm. For how much of one, I don't know. Yeah, Resident Evil 8 is definitely one that I'm, I'm looking forward to as well. I think that, you know, what they've shown off does it does remind me a lot of something like Bloodborne with like that kind of gothic horror vibe. And with Resident Evil uh, in the past, I think I'm just, 
I'm, I'm expecting it to get really weird and I'm really looking forward to, to how they're going to do it. At this point, I'm just kind of along for the ride and hoping that it turns out to be as good as, as, good as we hope. I think it will live up to expectations to an extent, but whether it will surpass expectations, I don't know. I, I, can't, I don't know if it will be on par with like some RE2 remake or RE3, well, I don't know. I, RE3 remake, I suppose, but I wasn't a huge fan of RE3 remake. Mm-hmm. It's good enough. Uh, it was good enough. It did, you know, did you know, justice uh, to the PS1 game, but I felt like it was sort of doing similar things to Resident Evil 2 remake, and I thought to myself, it was sort of, in some ways, just borrowing elements and then putting it into a more action, hectic setting. Well, RE2 is hectic, but it's just, you know, I'm not just more action heavy. More than fast-paced stuff. More scary and brooding and Yeah, there really aren't a lot of things that have solid release dates yet. I think that another one for me that I'm really excited about is oh, Guilty Gear. Guilty Gear Strive, not Blaze Blue. I always get those confused. Uh, but I'm I'm not huge on fighting games because I'm I'm very, very bad at fighting games. And this is one that you know, I look at and I think maybe I can maybe I can get good at this fighting game because I see the characters and I see, I hear the music and it just has this vibe that I'm really into. You have this heavy metal music and you have all these characters that have you know really big weapons and really awesome fighting stuff going on. Every character I see, I just want to be in on all of it. I just want to try out every character and try out their moves and see how they feel. And it's not something that I've. Uh, I've had the same feeling for with a lot of fighting games that have come out in the past, maybe since the original Street Fighter 4 came out a long time ago. Because um, I think that for, uh, a lot of fighting games just have this pedigree where people already have the skill, they already know how to play the game, and it's hard for me to get excited when I know I'm going to be at the bottom. But this is one that I'm I'm definitely looking forward to and keeping my eye on to see how, how that turns out. Oh yeah, there's been I notice about these, you know... <laughs> These kinds of games, um, you know, Japanese games, playing games, whatever. Um, so they have strange names for the titles of the games. Um, <laughs> Blaze Blue Continuum Shift. Um, oh, they're bad. They're bad titles. Yeah, there's uh, uh, some examples. Um, I just reminds me of Kingdom Hearts titles. Some of their games. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. Three five eight over two days, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, oh, Dream Drop Distance. <laughs> oh, none of the titles make sense. Final Chapter Prologue two point eight. Uh, yeah, Final Chapter Prologue is fine, I guess. A bit convoluted, but two point eight. What's that? Thirty two. Two point eight. I mean, there have been two point one, two point two, two point three, two point four, two point five. Yeah, were there any other games that you wanted to mention here before we uh, we wrap up? Uh, no, I can I can think of really. Um, I think that's 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 been a good session. Well, I really appreciate you joining us on this episode here, James. Where can people find more of your work? You you mentioned that you do write some articles and reviews. Where can they where can they look you up? Uh, XboxTavern.com 
and I'm starting a uh, blog with a friend of mine, which is called Game Flashes. So I'll be, I think I'll be using that as well to post uh, reviews and such. Excellent. Um, yeah. Well, again, thanks for joining us, James. I hope that we can have you on again in the future here soon. I think that that will wrap up our episode here. Take care, everybody.